0: That's where we will begin here in just a moment, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and we will look at those verses all the way through verse 17 this morning. Um, Just as we think about the things that we have sung, I don't want us to allow those to escape the back of our minds as we look at Scripture this morning. Um, We began by by singing a song that talked about Jesus being our delight and our reward. And if we lose track of that, if we forget that He is our delight and our reward, then a lot of what Peter says, especially this morning, won't make any sense. If we're really, if our focus is on that, that my delight would be my own comfort or my own security... If my reward is something in this life, then the message of First Peter doesn't make any sense. As we've talked about before, Stuart, if you put that first slide up, the message of First Peter, as we've said before, and we'll keep... I think what I'll start doing is like removing lines and see if we can remember. Um, some of you that, that educate a certain way, you'll start removing things, see if your kids can fill in the blanks, right? So Peter's writing to teach them based on what God has done. And we spent two or three weeks talking about our salvation, having a past, a present, and a future aspect to it. And that we can delight in that. Based on what he has done, Peter is is telling them how they need to live in a place where they don't belong even when they are facing difficulties. And that is very relevant to us today. Uh, Because we talked about that all of us in one form or fashion don't belong where we are. And especially a lot of folks in in this group, we're we're from all over the place. If you said, where's home? Well, you might say western North Carolina or or north Georgia, but most of you are from somewhere else. Your hometown is not here. Uh, But even despite the physical part, all of us long for something better than what we have. I mean, deep down inside, are we really satisfied with, with even this, driving in, talking to Miss Jean this morning, driving in, just the beauty of the mountains and the fog and after the rain. Just a gorgeous place to live. My hope and my prayer is that that would not satisfy us. That there would be something else. And so we find ourselves in a similar situation to the people that he's writing to in First in Peter. They're not where they belong, and they are facing difficulties just like we do. It may not be the same ones. They are most likely experiencing at least hardship for their faith. As we've talked about before, There, there is at least some decent evidence that, that these people that he's writing to, these Christians, have been forcibly removed from their homeland and used as settlers of some new Roman colonies in North Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They're not where they belong. And they're experiencing hardships because they are living out their faith. And so Peter says, in that process, here's what that looks like. Here's how you should live your life, and that's relevant to us today. Last week, we talked very specifically about the fact that that our lives are on display and, and that Peter wants the people he's writing to to... To fight the battle of the flesh and not the battle of the culture. When you are being slandered, the default response is, I want to respond to that. When the culture speaks ill against us as believers, our default response is, I want to, I want to fight back or I'm tempted to compromise so that you'll leave me alone. And Peter said, and we talked about last week, that the battle really is in here fighting those desires of the flesh. And I ask you, and I I charged you and tasked you this week to read through and pray through those two lists in Galatians 5. One, the desires of the flesh, those things that well up in us and try to control us. And I ask you very specifically, pray about which one of those, or maybe more than one of those, you struggle with the most. And how can God help you deal with those issues. And then also to pray through the list of the fruits of the Spirit, things we should be manifesting in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which one of those, God, as you pray through those, do I fail to exhibit on a regular basis? Or maybe even in certain situations, that fruit of the Spirit just kind of disappears. And then, so evaluation number one, how do I look more like the wrong list and not enough like the right list? I think it's important for us to pray through those and seek God's wisdom and not just assume, oh, I'm good at all those and I don't bother with any of that. But also to get input from other people in your life. That's always scary but helpful. And then second, begin fighting that battle. We talked very specifically last week about how to do that, about when those emotions, when those desires of the flesh well up, how we put those to death, I would encourage you to go back and listen or talk to me. I can give you just a a brief outline of very simple, practical, and yet at times difficult way to fight when the flesh wells up within us. And that brings us then to a long digression that Peter makes beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2 all the way over to... um, the middle of chapter 3 where he talks very specifically now because he says also not only do we fight that battle of the flesh but our behavior should be excellent among the Gentiles if you really want to to win the battle we change here first and then we don't give people opportunities to slander us because we act well in front of other people we actually behave well and he's going to go through and list very specific ways that we're to do that. For his people that he's writing to in their culture, but they also apply very specifically to our culture. Okay, that's where we're going. Anybody ever want to know the will of God? For, for, for specific situations. Right? Yeah. Do I? Is this the person I'm supposed to marry? Is that the job I'm supposed to take? Is this the house I'm supposed to buy? Right? We, those are the things sometimes that we, we desire, we want to know about. We, um, we want to know the will of God. Peter's going to talk very specifically about that this morning. Um, see, the problem is, in the will of God, when I think, okay, I want to know the will of God, what usually is happening is, is I'm looking for the will of God for the purpose of securing some happiness or security for my own life. I'll give you a specific example. We're in the process of, of trying to replace a, a car that's dying. And we, we really genuinely want to know the will of God. What do you want us to do about getting rid of this car and getting another one? We want to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. We want to know the will of God. But in the back of my mind, what I really want is for Him to provide something that will last and they don't have to worry about. You see, it couldn't possibly be the will of God that we would buy a lemon and have to go through this process again in three months. Surely that wouldn't be God's will, right? So I've been thinking about this this week. Oftentimes when I want to know the will of God, I just want His blessing on my security and my peace. And so I read passages like this, and I think... I'm trying to build my kingdom, and God wants me to build His kingdom. Oftentimes, the will of God in Scripture has words attached to it like sacrifice, avoidance, endurance, submission. All those words tear down my kingdom and build up His. And so when we're seeking the will of God, do we keep those in the back of our mind? And so Peter now is going to say, here is one thing that you can do that's in the will of God that will help keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And we read beginning in verse 13, he says, um, an almost exact echo of what Bo read out of Paul's writing just a moment ago. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth that's in it. I pray that you would take it, you would apply it to our lives, I pray that you'd open our ears, our understanding, our minds, and ultimately, God, that you would change our wills, that we would do what you would have us to do. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Submission, it's that that dreaded word, it's that word that, um, it's demeaning, it's hard, it's servile. It's restraining. Right? It's, it's the schoolyard bully. Now here's the picture. It's the schoolyard bully that puts us in a half Nelson, right? And, and says, I'm going to, until you submit. Sorry. But that's the picture we have in mind, right? Someone is making us submit. And you know what? That's not the biblical example at all of submission. It's worse. It's the cross of Christ. You see, no one forced him onto the cross. He voluntarily went. He voluntarily went up to the bully and said, How can I serve you? And that service led to his death. It led to pain. It led to separation from his father. That's submission. That's the biblical definition of submission. Is us walking up to the bully and say, "How can I serve you?" Thankfully, sometimes the person we're seeking to serve is not the schoolyard bully, but sometimes they are. It's a it's a compound word, uh, two words: a preposition under and a verb to arrange. So we arrange ourselves under someone. It's a it's a submission or an obedience to. Um, it's a recognition of some ordered structure that I am voluntarily placing myself under that authority. that's submission. And Peter says that we are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So that's the that's what submission is, but what what extent does it cover? I mean is that is that just... A, A small authority? Is that a big authority? Well, he he tells us, to every human institution, and that word institution really has a political connotation to it. It's any governing authority. uh, It's used for um, large governments in ancient Greek, small governments. It's even used for legislation. It's any ordered structure that shows up on earth that men have created, and Peter says that's who you're to submit to. Well, we don't like that. We'll get to that in in a moment. Um, But he also kind of, in case we weren't sure, he gives us the range, right? From the king, who is supreme, who has the greatest authority, to uh, the provincial governors like Pilate, whom he appoints, right? So, from the biggest to the smallest, from the president to your mayor, from your congressman to your city council member, any governing authority that he has set up, we are to submit to. We are to arrange ourselves under them. And that's sort of scary, because those are people, right? And we can't trust people, can we? Right? Do you, I mean, do you, do you really trust people? <laughs> have you read this book? Right? You should, I mean, yes we do. We ultimately have to put our trust in people, but... We ultimately can't because people are fallible. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to blow it. They're going to abuse their authority. And yet, Peter doesn't leave any wiggle room in there. So why do we submit? It's the next question we need to answer. Okay, so I know what submission is. I see the extent. Why do we do it? He says, it's for the Lord's sake. You see, it's not so you'll look good in front of their eyes ultimately. It's not even that they'll respond to you in a certain way ultimately, though we'll see that that is one of the the byproducts. It's, It's because God wants us to. It's for His sake. Remember, He's just talked about, I want you to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so in the things in which they slander you, when they see your good works, will glorify God. Ultimately, our submitting ourselves to someone is for His sake, not ours. It may not turn out good for us when we do that. We might be taken advantage of. And yet, God calls us to a certain behavior because He wants to be glorified. And when our behavior is a certain way and people see that, and you read through some ancient writings of the, the apostles, it's interesting. Uh, Roman officials would would write back to the emperor saying, we don't know what to do. Right? They're breaking the law by being Christians. They won't recant, but they're all really nice. But there's this testimony from these Roman officials who are trying to decide, can we kill them or not? And they sort of feel bad about it. Well, they're, they're going against what you say. They won't worship you, emperor, but they're all really nice. That's the testimony that we need to have. Right? They may not like us as Christians. They may not like what we believe. They may call us names. They may slander us. But ultimately, we, we want them to not be able to say, yeah, but they're mean. Right. The goal is, those are, those are nice, helpful, good people. And one of the ways we do that is the way we respond to the governing authorities. So, Are there any loopholes? Can we get out of this business? That's the question. Either indirectly or directly. See, one of the questions goes, well, but Peter doesn't know our situation. Right? He doesn't know what my congressman believes. He doesn't know how my government is trying to take away my rights. He doesn't understand how that particular legislation makes me feel. Can I... We've removed ourselves 2,000 years. Peter probably is not talking about our government or our president or our mayor or our city council. He's talking about something else. And my question is, did you read the end of the Gospels? I mean, if we really begin to think I'm trying to find a loophole base because my situation is different than Peter's, which it is. We live in a different type of government situation. Let us think about where the loophole would be. The Roman government under Pilate knew, if you read John's Gospel, knew that Jesus was innocent, was willing to crucify Him anyway based on getting the religious leaders to give a show of allegiance to the Roman government. Read through the end of John's Gospel. That's what's going on. Once Pilate secures their allegiance or their verbal allegiance to Caesar, he's willing to cut Jesus loose even though he knows he's innocent. There aren't aren't any loopholes based on how bad our government is. It it doesn't get worse than that. That's corruption. That's that's willing almost to take a a bribe. And it's putting the innocent to death. Well, let me think, maybe there's some explicit loopholes, right? He talks about in verse 14, that the governors are sent for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Well, if our government is unjust, if they're not doing that, and by the way, Paul mentions the same thing, that God gave government authority, the power of the sword, to punish evildoers and do what's right. If they don't do that, do I have to submit to them still? So the problem is the Bible doesn't give us that out. Just because someone fails to uphold their responsibility... That does not give us the right to fail to uphold our responsibility. Husbands, love your wives unless she nags a lot. Love your neighbor as yourself unless they have a dog that barks a lot at two in the morning. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you unless they start taking away my rights. My constitutional rights. Right? we're called to do these things regardless of whether the other person does them or not we've talked about that in marriage a lot in here all right husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and we've said before but if i do that there's a good chance my wife will take advantage of me yes there is she's human she's sinful she will are you going to sacrifice for her anyway wives submit to your husbands but if i do that there's a good chance he'll take advantage of me yes he will he's human he's sinful he will take advantage of your respect and honor and submission to him i promise you he'll do that god calls us to do those things anyway that's not an excuse it's not a loophole But let's say that it was. Let's say that we had the right to stop obeying if there was enough injustice. How much is enough? One example of of injustice, is that enough? What about ten? What about a hundred? What about seventy times seven? And then who gets to count and who gets to define? But if we start playing that game then we'll rationalize our ability to remove ourselves from the Bible's commands in lots of situations. We need to remove those ideas that there's a way out of this our minds, because there's not a good way out of it. That doesn't mean, though, that we have to sit on our hands and fail to fight injustice when we see it. But do we do it in love and with respect? The church, and I believe very strongly and deeply from the core of my being, the church is called to fight against the injustice of things like abortion. The question is, do we do that in love and respect? From the core of my being, the church needs to fight in love and respect for a proper understanding of male and female in marriage. We have to do that. But do we do it in love and respect? We're, we're not... We can't go the other way too, right? We, we, don't, we don't fail to respect and, lo- and submit to our government because we don't like them. But we also don't just become doormats for them to walk over when injustice is happening. We are called to fight for justice. Now... That's sticky. What does that look like? Where's the line between submitting and fighting for justice? And there's probably not a hard right and wrong answer because every situation is different. It's going to look different as we talk to and interact with local authorities and state authorities and national authorities. But what it must always look like is love and respect because each of those people that we fight against are made in the image of God. Every one of those people who make decisions that we may not agree with or that we may think are heinous and horrendous are made in the image of God. And ultimately their sin might be compounded because they're more visible and because they have more authority. How would you like it if you were given all the authority? Do you think you would handle the pressure and the temptation as well as those that are in authority in our government? And and we just see it more because our government's made up of hundreds and thousands of people, so it just kind of gets magnified. What if we multiplied you by a thousand? Do you think the havoc that you wreck with your sin would increase? You would. We would, we would affect more people. Power would go to our heads and our hearts. We would not be immune from the foolish ignorances Peter talks about that our government is. So don't don't look for loopholes. Look for ways that you can in the confines of the way our government is structured to fight for justice and righteousness. And in that process, don't let someone say that you're a bad citizen in the context of what's going on. So... Another why He gives us. And here we get in verse 15, For such is the will of God. It's actually God's will that you submit to authorities. Why? As Bill read in Romans 13, because God places those people in authority. God put them there. God doesn't make mistakes. He's not up wringing His hands going, Oh, I hope the midterm elections go better than last time. He's not hoping that. He's designed what this country needs. We may not like it; it may be injustice. If you want to, we're going to talk very specifically about that a little while in Sunday school next hour, next door. If you want to hear how God uses unjust people in positions of authority, as we're looking at the book of Habakkuk, we'll talk about a very specific instance of that. God's not worried; he's not wringing his hands; he's not going, "Oh, that was a mistake." Nor is he going, oh, those foolish Americans, they just can't get it right. He doesn't do that. His purposes and his plans are for the building of his church and his own glory. And the question is, are we going to get in line behind that? Or are we going to shake our fists and complain and moan and gripe and call names and be hateful in the process? Because you see, we've been made free, he says. Use your freedom. How are you using your freedom? Are you using your freedom for your own kingdom, for your own good? Are you using your freedom as a covering for evil? And in the context, the evil would be choosing not to submit, not to respect, not to honor. Is that how you're using your freedom? Or are you using your freedom to do good? Let's forget about all the negative something for a moment. One of the main ideas of this text that people have commented on for centuries is, okay, how how do Christians interact with our local communities to do good? For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Can we be creative as a community and as individuals? How can we bless this community? How can we do good for this community? When someone may disagree with our beliefs, someone may, may even, as we talked about last week, call us bigots for what we believe, Call us foolish, ignorant, backward that we actually think this is true. Yet, nonetheless, they look at our lives, they look at this church, they look at this body and go, yeah, but they sure help this community a lot. There's enough creative people in this room that we should be able to say, you know what, we can, we can turn the tide of how people think about church in general and Christians in general. Or maybe us, people who actually buy into what this book says by the way that we do good. And if you read through commentaries again throughout the centuries, one of the focuses is is not our speech and our actions towards those in authority. It's in a negative way. It's it's how do we do that in a positive way? And I think the church really understood. I don't bad mouth Caesar. The church grasped that and understood that from an early, early, early time in church. The focus was, what can we do to positively impact our community for the glory of the Lord? And then Peter ends with some very general ideas, and he talks about kind of the four realms of society that we interact with and how, how, what that looks like. He says, honor all people, society, right? We we live in society. There's not anybody that we shouldn't show honor to because, again, they're made in the image of God. He says, love the brotherhood. Your fellow believers, are you displaying sacrificial love for the people that God has called you into community with? Because that's the biggest example we have is how we treat each other. Right? Do we... Do we, as James said, bite and devour one another? Do we slander one another? Do we talk behind each other's back? Or do we really enjoy each other's company and treat each other like family? Love the brotherhood. That speaks volumes to a community where people fight all the time. Ultimately, as he referenced back to chapter 1, fear God. The foundation for all of that is the fact that God has placed people where He wants them. In your life, in our government, in our community. God has placed all that. And if we fear God, remember that image I gave you several weeks ago. The fear of the Lord is, is like that sailor on the sea where He understands and really is fearful of the power and the awesomeness of an open ocean, especially in the midst of a storm. And yet that thrills his soul and that's, he's drawn to that. He's pulled to that. I have to be on the water. I have to be out there kind of where the only thing holding me up is the very same thing that can snuff out my life. The waves keep me afloat and the waves can end my life just like that. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's what undergirds all of this. He, as we sang, He is our delight. He is our reward. And then finally, just in case we missed it, honor the king. Even if you don't agree with him, even if you don't like him, in the political realm we show honor to those people. Again, because they're made in the image of God and because he appointed them. We should never be accused of bad-mouthing those in leadership over us. And that's hard to do because sometimes it's easy. that's the culturally acceptable thing to do in our culture. Both sides of the political spectrum, all they like to do is throw barbs at each other. And will we stop doing that? Will we not play that game? And will we honor those in authority even if we disagree with them? And that's what Peter is calling us to do, is to use our freedom for good. Because you are free. You're free in Christ. He has delivered you from the fear of those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He's given you eternal life. And the question is, will we use that freedom to bring joy into people's lives that quite honestly it's it's difficult? My dad was in politics for a while. It's difficult. It's hard. People are nasty. People are, are mean. He was hurt bitterly by things that people that were his friends at one point in time said because of the way he conducted business when he was in office. It's a difficult job. It's not fun. Will we make it easier for them or harder for them? Let's pray together then we're going to sing a little bit more. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is in us, in it, even though it is difficult at times. Because our flesh, God cries out, I don't like the way things are going. And so we want to respond in bitterness and sometimes hate and sometimes um, nasty things that we say or just that human stubbornness of, but I'm free and I don't want to be constrained. I thank you for giving us freedom, true freedom. And in that process, God, I pray that you would help us to serve those around us and love them sacrificially as you served us. As you served us by dying for us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing again?